I was in the cafe this morning, and a gentleman, I keep his name confidential, but he came up to me and he said, uh, you're a good preacher for your age. And then I, and I said, how, how old do you think I am? And he said, 30. And I said, uh, you're my favorite person at this church. <laughs> I have a daughter who's turning 18 pretty soon, so I feel not 30. And we went out for a run this past week, which I haven't ran. I don't even know the last time I ran. Like, it's been so many years. But she was egging me on, right? And I'm, I'm kind of competitive. And um, that girl made me run two and a half miles because I just wouldn't give up. Like, she's ahead of me. She was like, ah, 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 ah. And, going like, and by the time I got home, I'm so sore right now. I didn't, even, I didn't lift the weight. I didn't do anything. But I'm, like, so sore. Like, even my back is sore. Like, how did I use my back in running? I'm going to get her, though. <laughs> I'm going to be ahead of her at one time. I'm going to train without her knowing if she's not listening. And, yeah, I'm going to show you up. We are in John chapter 11. Quite a n- number of verses here, but I'm just going to read the part that includes Lazarus, so not the very end, but the story of Lazarus. And if you would bear with me as I read this, uh, just to give us an idea of what we're looking at this morning. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are now going there again. Jesus answered, and there are not 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to Jesus, to where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said in this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Most biblical scholars break up the Gospel of John into two volumes. That first volume is chapters 1 through 12 and the second through verse 21. We're going to wrap up this first volume of John after Advent as we're going to pause uh, for the Advent season starting next week. These first 12 chapters uh, record for us Jesus's signs, and, and the second volume is about Jesus's glory. And so these last couple of chapters in volume one give us kind of the, the high points of Jesus's signs. Looking back into those first 12 chapters, Jesus declared himself the living bread, John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He also declared himself the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so John continually shows Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. And he keeps showing us these signs of who Jesus is. And what happens in the presence of Jesus through his power and his authority. And there are these first major signs in this first volume of the Gospel of John. The first one was Jesus turning the water into wine, John chapter 2. Second one, the healing of the official son, John chapter 4. The third one, healing the man at the pool, John chapter 5, feeding the 5,000. John chapter 6, walking on water. Also John chapter 6, healing the man who was born blind. John chapter 9. And then we get to this one here, John chapter 11, resurrecting Lazarus. And this is kind of the, the high point of all of those signs. This is kind of the one where it's like the most earth-shaking. And throughout Jesus' ministry, there have been these dark times, this darkness that has been following him, attempting to extinguish this light that Jesus is. And John records for us this darkness several times in the first 12 chapters. And here is what it culminates to in John chapter 11, verse 53. 
So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That this darkness continues to follow Jesus. That they sought to stone him. They sought to kill him. So this time is coming when it will appear that this darkness is overcoming the light. And we come to this when Jesus is on the cross. Did that light get overtaken? And this last sign of Jesus shows us that that's not going to be true. That 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 darkness can't overtake the light because Jesus resurrects Lazarus. And Jesus will also resurrect himself on the third day, which he has spoken of time and time again. Now, an important lesson to gather from John chapter 11 is that this darkness will never overcome Christ, the light. Never. That you and I might be overcome by darkness for a while, that some will be overcome by darkness for everlasting even by not trusting in Christ, but Christ always overcomes the darkness. And so this story begins in this kind of unusual way. The the first six verses there, it shows that Jesus is delaying. He's not going right away. And it's just a really, really strange thing because these were very good friends of Jesus. You look at verses 3 and 5. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, that they weren't just simply acquaintances that just said hello, passing by, and things like that. These are close friends. Now, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, they were part of the aristocracy in Bethany. They were a very well-regarded family who cared, loved, provided for Jesus and his followers. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus loved them, which makes verse 6 just that much more strange. Because it reads this, So... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So in other words, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus. So therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed longer because of that. The people that Jesus loved because he loved them When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. That is bizarre. That is not a natural thing to do. That is not an instinctual thing to do. Because when you hear someone is seriously ill, especially if you love them and they're almost to the point of death, what do you do? You drop everything. Your child... Your parent, your cousin, your aunt, your whoever you're close to, a very close friend, whatever you are doing, you drop it and you go. You're in the middle of work, I'm gone, right? You're in the middle of a class, you get the call, I'm gone. That's why I hate those calls when my dad or my mom call me like at two or three in the morning. Because it's always bad news, right? It's always one of those things where you you just drop everything and go, right? And Jesus, being fully human, must have had this natural instinct within him, and he held it back. For two whole days, he held that back. That Jesus purposefully delayed leaving. That he deliberately waited. You talk about self-control, to be able to do that. 
Because everything within you, if you heard that your loved one was sick, you just go. You don't, you don't even care how much the airplane ticket costs. You don't care about the vacation time or the PTO. or You just go. Now, why did Jesus do this? Because with this delay, God's glory will be manifested in a way that it otherwise couldn't be. This is why he does it. Now, for some of you, you, you understand this, and for others, you're still kind of in bewilderment, like, yeah, but his friends were sick and he's going to die. Like, why wouldn't you go? It's just very, very counterintuitive. And again, if you just put yourself as your child is on their deathbed, there's nothing that is going to hold you back from going to see your kid or your parent. There, there's nothing that is going to hold you back. So you're on your way to see them and, and you see how you can be of help to them. And you see how you can be of help to other family members if this is a friend and, and you show up at the bedside to just have your presence there to show them that you love them and that you care and that, that you, you're starting to express things to them and say things to them. And even if there's nothing that you can do, you still show up ready so that you can do whatever is asked of you. So here's something that we need to understand about Jesus. When Jesus cares and loves his children, even when we are in terrible crisis ourselves or terrible circumstances or situations, Jesus often purposefully delays. Jesus often deliberately waits, which is so frustrating, yes? And here's the thing we need to learn is we need to learn and adjust to who Jesus is and know this is how he works. And Martha is about to learn this, and so is Mary. Verse 21, Martha said to him, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing when they encounter each other. And essentially what Martha is doing is she's criticizing Jesus. Man, if you were here... This wouldn't have happened. But then she's going to be able to see Jesus more clearly because of this delay. And whenever Jesus delays, it's, it's a mysterious thing as to how he chooses these things. But it always displays God's greater glory. Always. And so this happened in chapter 9, right, with the man who was born blind. You turn back to chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man, sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why. It's all about God's glory. And the delays are cause for us to look to God, to look to Jesus, to know that in that delay, in that waiting, will come God's glory that would not be so without the delay. We wouldn't be able to see that. And this is the Jesus we know. Because Jesus isn't at our beck and call. And Jesus often delays so that God's glory may be displayed and this chapter begins with this delay. I'm sure you can look back in your life just as I look back in mine and you just lose count at how many times God has delayed. Like, 
every final that I've taken in college, right? Like, Lord, please. Like, I remember um, co-founding this church with another pastor. The first several years, we always wondered if we would get paid. We'd have to pay the rent, and we'd have to pay insurance, and we'd have to pay everything, and we paid ourselves last, right? Every pay period, we paid ourselves last, and we were like, I guess we can pay this much to ourselves this week. And that's how it was for, for years, but we always got something. Like, it was always something. It was never like zero. And Katie, my wife, and I, we really had to tighten our belts at the beginning of ministry. Like, our, our grocery budget was so tight, and when it was really tight, we were just contemplating, like, oh, what are we going to eat this week? Like, this is, this is a pretty tight month here. And then always there would just show up, like, Trader Joe's bag of groceries at our front step. Or there would be this envelope of cash in our mailbox. Here's the miraculous thing. We lived on Claremont Avenue, right by the dog park and the freeway. There's so many people walking by all the time, right? Like, and those groceries are just sitting right out there on Claremont Ave. But it, uh, I, actually, I don't know when it got stolen because it was stolen. But oftentimes, we would have the groceries there, and we'd bring it in. And, and so the other thing was this mailbox that we had. The only keys were the mailman and me. That was it. Like, it was this lockbox that you put the mail in. There's no slot. There's no nothing. So whenever we got this cash in there, it, would, it wouldn't have a return address. It wouldn't say anything on it. It was just a blank white one with cash in it. And I was always thinking, like, how do they get in there? Maybe our postman is just so generous and gives us money like every so often when he knows. Like, how is that even showing up there? There are only two keys. But this would happen over and over again when we were like, how are we going to fix the car? Or like, we're short on rent. Or, or things like that. We, we'd always it'd just kind of show up, this unmarked envelope, and it'd just kind of show up, or these groceries would just kind of show up. Never early, though. It was just so frustrating. Like, we got two weeks to get this. How are we going to show? And then show up like the day of. Like, come on, God. Like, why do you do that? Like, but that's how it is. It just comes right on time. Never ahead. Always delayed. But it always had us never question God. Like, we, we just knew it was going to show up. Like, raising support for missions, trips, or doing whatever. Like, it would never show up until, like, the last minute or the last day that we had to pay a deposit or something like that. And then it would show up. And it would happen over and over and over again at the church. It was just more of just, like, this is funny now. Like, we know this is how God works. He just, this is what he does. And here Jesus makes his way to Bethany. Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Four days. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Very telling of Martha and Mary's personality is here. You know, Martha can't wait. She hears and she's gone. And she wants to tell Jesus, Lord, if you've been here, he wouldn't have died. And then she composes herself the following verse. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so this criticism of Jesus is then soon followed by this trust in Jesus, and she finds herself helpless and looks to Jesus for some hope. Jesus, I, I, I really hope you can do something. And she doesn't know what he's going to do, but she just trusts that he's going to do something. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha here is doing what a lot of Christians do. 
she's reciting a, a creed. Just like for us, we have different creeds and different beliefs we know of God. And like, we know God means things for good. But do you really believe that? Or are you just kind of reciting something? Right? And we, we often do this, right? And you notice that Jesus is kind of switching this on her. Because like our Apostles' Creed, where we recite in that Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's towards the end of that Apostles' Creed. Martha knows this creed just like many of us know creeds. We know these different things about God and, and what we believe. And you notice that Jesus brings her from memorizing, reciting this creed into believing and knowing and believing who Jesus Christ is. Where Jesus is telling her, I am the creed. I'm the creed. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So what's the difference? The difference is knowing the truth, that the things are true, that this creed is true, and then knowing the power of that truth. Not just knowing that these things are true, but in the one who has the authority and power behind that truth, to carry that truth forward. And it's not just a creed of words that you can recite, but this is a personified creed. This is a living creed. This is Christ. And so there's a big difference between these words you just say and believing in the person who can carry forth what you have said. In verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha knows the creed, but she has yet to experience the power until fully trusting Christ as the creed. And God is going to show her this by raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is the difference between the non-believer who does not have a resurrection to look forward to and the believer who has Christ, who resurrected Lazarus, who resurrected himself as proof that he has power and authority to do so. Jesus delays. He ministers personally to Martha. And then this very cool thing happens. He shows his deep emotions here. And these are things that creeds don't have. They don't have emotion. They don't have care. They can't save. They don't love. They don't have friends. They're just truths. But there's no personification behind it. Now you look back to verses 3, 5, 11, and you can see the emotions of Jesus, the feelings of Jesus. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 11, and after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. So Jesus has these deep feelings and emotions for those who belong to him. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Those phrases there don't really give the full entirety of what Jesus was going through. It's hard for us to picture when you just read deeply moved or greatly troubled, right? Like it's hard to picture. That phrase, deeply moved, 
is not the best impression from Greek to English because that Greek phrase, this is so much better, to snort with anger. Does that give you a better idea, a better picture of what Jesus is going through? Like when you, you know, like, is that giving you a better picture than deeply moved? Like what is deeply moved? And then here's a better picture of how Jesus felt because along with this snort with anger, this is what this phrase means, to have indignation, to sigh with chagrin, to groan against. So now you see visibly these emotions, but can you also hear the groaning of Jesus, that snorting with anger, that audible stuff that you seem to sometimes miss out on when you're reading the Bible. That is deeply moved. And then when you look at this next expression of greatly troubled, what does that mean? Like how, what does that mean? Like is he crying? Is, what's going on? It's not the best interpretation again, right? But this phrase in Greek is describing being troubled to the extent of, of shaking. Right? Quivering, like your lip and your, you know, your eye, and you're like quivering, shuddering. A better idea, a better picture, visibly, audibly, of what Jesus was going through emotionally. Now, why would Jesus be this deeply moved? Why would he be this greatly troubled? Because what happened to Lazarus is what happens in the aftermath of sin. You see, Jesus sees what sin does to loved ones. And he clearly sees what he's going to have to do just several days later on the cross to redeem that experience. And so he's very deeply moved for this. He knows the depths of our need of salvation. He sees that in his friend Lazarus. He sees the devastation to the community, to his sisters, of of what happens there that judgment provides no hope for him. He will not be resurrected without God. He knows that he's going to have to bear our sins in order for light to be shown in that darkness of that tomb. In order to be bread of life, to give him life, he is going to have to substitute for that. And so Jesus is deeply moved. He's greatly troubled to what sin does to our lives, that our Savior hates sin and the devastation it does to us as well as to the entire community, and he's just angered by this. And so picture how deeply troubled Christ is, how deeply moved he is because of this. And he's willing to bear that judgment on himself for those sins and he knows the depths of our need for our salvation even when others don't. That Jesus so deeply loves you and his resurrection power is for you and he proves it in raising Lazarus from the dead. Now when we look back at these verses specifically 38 through 44 Jesus specifically says, Lazarus, come out. 
Now, why is he so specific in saying Lazarus? I, there was a commentary that I read that said, if he just said, come out, that all the dead people would come out. So he had to be specific and say, Lazarus, come out. Otherwise, it'd be like, a, you know, everyone, hey, what's up? You know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But why not Jesus? Why wouldn't you just say everybody and then everyone can kind of like celebrate and have all their loved ones back and everything? Well, this wasn't about that yet. This is not the last day. This is just about this specific event that Jesus wanted to show his power and authority and this sign in John's first 12 chapters because Lazarus was going to die a physical death again, right? He's not walking around out there still. He died again physically. And so this was just, this resurrection was a sign of Jesus' power and Jesus' ability to, to bring someone who was once dead to life. And this wasn't the last days that are coming. Now, this sign was what led to people wanting to kill Jesus and eventually led to Jesus' death. Because the Jewish council planned on murdering Jesus from this day. You look at verse 53. They were planning to kill him. And I just don't understand how warped someone's mind can be. Because he just raised someone from the dead. And then you're thinking, like, I'm going to kill him. But he just raised someone from the dead. So like, who are you killing? He's going to just be able to raise himself from the dead, right? Like you're planning to kill someone who is able to resurrect the dead. It's just puzzling to me. And if I was on that council, I would just quit. Well, you guys are out of your mind. You guys are out of your mind. You want to kill a guy that resurrects people from the dead? He's going to just resurrect himself from the dead. What are you talking about? I'm out of here. Right? It's like, no way I'm going to mess around with that dude. He raises people from the dead. And they didn't even deny it. There's no denial of it. They witnessed it. Right? They're there. And they got all these eyewitnesses there. And they're still messing around with this. It's just the craziest thing. I would have just been like, Whoa, all right, man, I'm out. Right? Leave, I'll leave it alone. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead at the cost of his own life. Then he would resurrect and be glorified that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11, but in the next chapter, they're going to look to take Lazarus's life also in chapter 12. It's the most crazy thing. Jesus raises us from the death of our own sin at the cost of his own life on the cross. We've substituted. When we are called from death to life with Jesus, we're called to lay down our lives for his glory. You know, as Christians, we're in for more than we think we are and what's to come. That we have all these things we memorize about Christianity, all these creeds that we can recite different things, we can re recite different verses, Bible verses, and sing different worship songs, and we know all this stuff about Jesus and Christianity, and that is so much easier than a full acceptance of Christ in our lives who calls us to lay our own lives down for his glory. But creeds don't save you. All that knowledge that you have doesn't save you. It doesn't raise you from the dead. It is Christ who does that. Now, Christians throughout the centuries know this story of Lazarus. You know, when they were persecuted in Rome and they would hide in the catacombs, the most graffitied piece of art that you'll see in the Roman catacombs is Lazarus. You'll go down there and the people just etching in the stone. So yes, Christians were, were very unruly 
back then, just damaging catacombs and people were buried. But that's where they would be. If you go down there today, even today, into the Roman catacombs, you'll see a lot of graffiti of Lazarus. Right? And you might see uh, Albert loves Katie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But they knew that Christ's glory was shown through this resurrection of Lazarus. You know, a lot of you may be experiencing a darkness now, and God is purposefully delaying. And whether you're going through a tough time with a loved one or just different experiences, maybe with health or finances or whatever it is, and you're just wondering, God, what is happening? I would encourage you not to look at the circumstance, but to look at God and see what glory is being brought from this. And, and sometimes you just won't ever understand it because it is just so horrible. And you can't even minister to someone by telling them. So if someone loses a child at childbirth, how are you going to say something like this? It is at those times you're just present and you pray for them and you don't say things that are dumb. But ultimately, this is in the back of your head, knowing that the purposeful delays bring about God's glory. How? It's a mystery. They're mysterious. Sometimes they're not going to be answered for years or maybe never answered at all until you're at the foot of the Lord and ask him, like, why did this happen? Jesus said in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. That baby, that child lost her. We need to believe that. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe? If you do not believe, the darkness will overtake you. It will. Jesus is the only light that can outshine that darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 12. That your only hope out of darkness is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just celebrated Thanksgiving in our country, and there's so much to be thankful for, that you've provided us this everlasting hope, that we know that when things are not going our way or going in an unexpected way, ultimately, you are the light that leads us out of darkness. Thank you for your sacrifice we can see by your being deeply moved and greatly troubled how this so affected you and that is why you went to the cross for us. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who is going through that difficult time or those doubts or those questions of who you are, that you would show yourself just that much more clearly to them, that their faith will increase. And Lord, for those who do not have a belief in you, a trust in you at this time. I pray, Lord, for a softening of their heart, an opening of their mind and eyes and ears to be able to receive the love that you have for them, that you desire to give them freely. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If uh, anyone is wanting to join us in communion and you don't have any of those elements yet, just raise your hand and we can get that to you. Anyone needing prayer, Susanna is in the right front pew. She'd be honored to pray with you. I'll be in the left front pew, and I'd love to pray with you as well. Jesus said that he is the bread of life, and this first sacramental element is to symbolize that, that Jesus is the bread of life. We take this in Jesus' name. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us, that his death on the cross was to substitute for our sins so that we may have salvation in him. We take this in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for these elements that we have been instructed to partake in until your return. And so we do this in faith, eagerly waiting for your return. I pray that you ready your church and each one of us evangelizing people in terms of telling them who you are, Jesus. I pray that we grow in deeper relationship with you and intimacy with you, that we would know your will clearly. Speak to your church, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.